This podcast was recorded on the date indicated with the link. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide updates or changes. everybody. Welcome to The Sherman Show. I'm Jeff Sherman, along with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And we, today is uh, Tuesday, September 13th. I forgot it was already Tuesday. Uh, crazy day in the market here. Uh, but we are joined today by a special guest. We have Brenda Vigello. Vigello, sorry. See, I can't even speak this morning. Uh, she is the Chief Investment Officer of Sand Hill Global Advisors, um, which is a Silicon Valley-based wealth management firm. Uh, Brenda has been uh, doing this for a long time now. Uh, she has much, much uh, needed experience in this business, and she's the second part of our series here from the Future Proof Wealth Conference down in Huntington Beach. So thanks for joining us, Brenda. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's an honor. <laughs> Absolutely. So just give us a little bit of background about yourself, and what are your qualifications to come on The Sherman Show? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been in the industry for more than 20 years, but I started out um, on the on the buy side, it was a buy side analyst yeah. uh, for the first half of my career, essentially. Um, and during that time, I met uh, a, a mid-cap portfolio manager who's now the CEO of the company that I that I work for, for Sandhill. Um, so he ultimately recruited me to come over and join him about 11 years ago um, as part of a succession plan for the original founder who was uh, stepping aside mm -hmm. um, the day-to-day -day management of the business. but. So I've been at Sandhill for 11 years, really love the opportunity to meet with a lot of individual families um, and really help them meet their financial goals and objectives. So we have about three and a half billion in assets under management. The majority of that is with uh, uh, families and individuals, mm -hmm. but we also have about 500 million that is with nonprofit organizations or institutional clients. And so I think it's important for us, you know, a lot of the, of the um, uh, investment people at Sandhill, which is a team of seven that I manage, uh, but a lot of us really came from the institutional world, mm -hmm. and I think that gives us a certain level of discipline that I don't think you necessarily see throughout the RIA world in terms of relative performance and how important that is for us. Mm -hmm. um, many private clients only care about absolute numbers, uh, but we really care about how we're doing on a relative basis. Our institutional clients absolutely care about that. Yeah. Uh, that's all that they that's care they about. about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it just brings a certain level of discipline to the table um, on the investment side that that isn't as prevalent throughout the industry. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. So as you as you think about you know developing a plan with a client too, uh, and obviously it's all customized. I mean, you're talking ultra high net worth and the likes, and you're, you're out of Palo Alto, right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, as you think about putting it together. How do you think about the world today of that kind of the traditional asset classes versus, mm -hmm. let's say, the alternatives or the more private markets? And mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people have been tilting towards private markets. Mm -hmm. And um, we've heard it from clients this year. Well, why is why is your fund down, uh, you know, X amount? And, you know, my my private investments, they're flat, mm -hmm. you know, so why do I even own this? Other stuff? So anyway, just curious your thoughts on that and, and what makes sense for an individual or, you know, not it's not one size fits all. But in general, yeah. what makes sense for individuals? 
Yeah, I think it all it depends again on the individual's um, willingness to take on some illiquidity in their yep. portfolio, willingness to have at times a really delayed tax return filing, <laughs> which yeah. it could be August for a lot of people. Yeah, I just got my um, I just got my last K one on September first. Yeah, okay. and it's the lowest investment I have, and it's been holding up my taxes all yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah, and yeah. so that's annoying, right? right. Nobody wants. No that. one wants that. Yeah. <laughs> so we try not, we try to go with things that. Uh, with investments that we think are really going to be impactful um, for clients. And this year has been an excellent test for all those alternative investments that mm -hmm. everybody always claims are going to be um, uncorrelated with broader markets. Um, and so, you know, we do use for many of our clients some fund to fund options, okay. which we think allow our clients to have um, a lot of diversification without making a gigantic financial commitment. Um, but, you know, again, it really depends on the client. And surprisingly, even though we're located in Silicon Valley, a lot of clients are not, um, they don't want to have a lot of illiquidity. They kind of don't trust um, some private investments yep. um, in terms of um, the ability to generate an excess return above and beyond um, what you can find in the public market. Yeah. And there's some validity to that, honestly, yeah. because uh, a lot of people, you know, after investing in a private equity fund, for example, might be saying 10 years later, like, I don't actually know if I made money or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got a big tax bill, but I don't really know if I made yeah. any money. Well, that's weird because so. <laughs> the distributions come, you're always drawing down, you get these great IRRs or MOIC and you're like, but it didn't ever feel, feel like, like I made anything, yeah. right? That's yeah. right. right. Yeah, that's right. So that's not what we want for our clients, right? We want to, uh, so we do favor um, investments that are more liquid than that, generally speaking. Okay. Um, and again, for for reasons I don't completely understand, most of our client base is just, um, they like traditional stocks and bonds. Yeah. That's what they're most comfortable with. Um, so that really guides a lot of what we do. But on the alternative side too, you know, we do make investments in things like commodities, which we've had, you know, an overweight coming into this year. Congratulations. It's been a lifesaver. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did start reducing exposure, however. And um, congratulations yeah. on that as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still don't think it's a bad place to have some exposure. Yeah. Uh, I think it's getting more attractive again at these levels. But, yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I think it's important to have that diversification, um, but we try to do it as, as much as we can in a in a liquid way for our clients. So. You know, as I mentioned at the top, right, we're sitting here with um, uh, today where there was a big inflation print, right? Well, mm -hmm. it's not big. It was big relative to expectations. Yeah. As, you, right. as you know, you're talking about relative, right? So mm -hmm. market is expecting to decline. We get a slight uptick month over month. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how does that view your thinking right now? And how are you thinking about, the, let's say, the Federal Reserve, you know, their, their policy that they're, they're implementing? And how does it impact your clients today? You know, yeah. like the conversations you're having. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think our clients, we've been telling them all year that we're expecting that inflation's going to come down, which it did, right. a spigeon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did, it's on its way, yeah. but it's just not happening very fast. Right. Um, and so I think they're more of the mindset of like, when is this thesis of yours going to play out? Uh, yeah. That inflation's coming down. We still absolutely believe that we are going to see it come down. But um, as we saw today, you know, it was a pretty disappointing number and it was broad based um, that we just didn't see the improvement that we were hoping to see. Mm -hmm. The services really drove it this time. Too, That's yeah. right. It's housing a lot. Yeah, too, right. right. Yeah. Housing, which yeah. is going to be really sticky, yep. uh, we feel. 
um, and uh, you know, obviously things like health insurance and other things that were in that figure too are and and food. You know, that was a that was an area that we thought we might start to see some improvement because yeah. we've seen some commodity food commodity prices come down, but it just didn't didn't flow through yeah. to the end. Consumer. Well, it, it just shows that the you know the the margins stay there, the prices stay where they are, even if the input costs come down a little bit because right. they're trying to make up on the other side. That's right, right. because yeah. we still have demand. Yeah. You know, but food is a basic it's a, it's basic a necessity. Uh, necessity, yeah. obviously. But I think even during the summer months, we saw people trading down, um, you know, in, in cuts of meat that they were buying, for mm -hmm. example. And so we saw that the prices came down for better cuts of meat because there just wasn't as much demand yeah. because people were trading away. But I think that's the piece that is still problematic within our economy. And, you know, the Fed, as they continue raising rates, should be able to solve some of that problem. But yeah. as that's going to mean that we have some economic slowing and demand slowing as a result. Um, so given that context, um, mm -hmm. I mean, if we take a look at the past few years, it's been very challenging for our, uh, there's been ups and downs, let's mm -hmm. just say, for the financial markets. It's been a challenging economic environment. It looks like we're heading that way mm -hmm. uh, again, you know, just a short two years later, and we're talking about these 40-year highs in inflation. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for some of your clients who may already be retired or they're getting closer to retirement? Do they have to change their lifestyle, um, maybe cut back, maybe not travel as much? Or is there something that uh, can be done within portfolios that can help them get where, get maintain where they are or you know get them to where they want to be in terms of their goals and objectives that we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I mean, I think when we're we try to focus our have our clients focus not on what's happening this year and assume it's just going to be status quo mm -hmm. for the next several mm -hmm. years. That's hard to do. It feels, that's that's hard, really hard because do, right? it feels like it's such uncharted territory in so many ways. This environment that we're finding ourselves in right now, and how do we how do we get out of it? And what does it what does it mean longer term for returns from different asset classes? Right, but I think there's no there's no um, uh, you know, perfect investment that's going to drive a lot of income and not not experience some of the fluctuations that we've seen. Although I'll say in some of the alternative space, mm -hmm. like our fund of funds that we have there, they've had a positive return this year, a modestly positive return. It's not keeping up with inflation, but it's been better than stocks and bonds. So there are some some areas in commodities, you know, having that diversification has really helped. Um, but when we look at where do we put clients' money today, you know, we're really looking and saying, where do we think the most opportunity lies? We still think there's opportunity um, in the stock market, in certain areas of the stock market. Um, would I put client money into, you know, speculative, growthy companies that aren't profitable? No, because <laughs> I think there's still more downside valuation potential there um, until those companies can really prove themselves and we can apply a fair multiple. Um, but do I think there's value in some, you know, large cap companies that are cash rich that have, you know, um, really definable um, place in the market with high barriers to entry to what they're doing? They're going to continue to persist. Their growth, you know, corporate earnings growth has been better than I think the market certainly feared, especially in the midst of June yeah. uh, market swoon. So when you look at those elements, you know, we say fundamentals still look pretty healthy, even though we have these scary inflation numbers. The consumer balance sheet is still in pretty good shape. Um, consumers have saved a lot. Um, you know, wage growth has risen, which isn't completely uh, making up for the inflationary problems that we're having, but it helps a little bit. 
Um, so when we think about where do we go going forward, we still see opportunity in the stock market. Um, and we've actually, um, it's not helping today, uh, but late in the second quarter, we did add some duration to our fixed income portfolio. And we did it with treasury bonds, uh, which we've, in my 11 years at Sandhill, we have never established a, long, a long-term position in treasury bonds. That's the vehicle we use has a, an 18-year uh, duration. But we felt that um, it would provide a little bit of protection in case we were wrong if we do slip into recession. And I do think that um, you know, our view is, is that that won't happen. But if it does, um, especially if the Fed has to continue raising rates next year, we're, we fear that the market's going to say, well, we didn't. If we didn't go into a recession in 2022, it's definitely going to happen in 2023 yeah. if the Fed's continuing to raise rates. And so, in our view, you know, we're likely to continue seeing the yield curve invert and maybe not see as much of an increase in rates at the long end of the curve. That's um, playing out right now. Still, yeah. I mean, it is right. happening. It is. Right? So, yes. Yeah. yeah. It still hurts. With it the still duration, hurts yeah. a little bit, uh, yeah. but not as much. Yeah. You know, it's certainly um, on the shorter end. We're seeing some short ends getting huge crushed increases, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, so we just felt like. You know, looking for areas like that, try to be forward thinking about where we're putting our clients' assets and, and thinking about um, uh, protecting them in some way, you know, especially if we did have um, an inflationary, uh, excuse me, a, a um, recession play out. Yeah. So, so on that front, so let's walk through that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you talk about the health of the consumer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the negative side of all house prices, affordability, right. um, you know, Look, you, you cite wage growth. Mm -hmm. Where do you think this inflation number shakes out? Mm -hmm. Like, like as we look next year, because I'm looking at a bond market right now that, you know, two years, you know, you're, you're talking 375 today. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound horrible. I mean, that's yeah. the that's the most we've seen in like 10 years, you know, right. 12 years. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but as you look, look through it and, you know, you're trying to invest for the future, as you said, mm -hmm. we I, I like to tell people we had an 8.3% inflation. Yeah. It doesn't mean we have one right. or we're going to have one, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think about that component, how are you thinking about the fixed income allocation? Because we get mm -hmm. the pushback that, well, five yields on a six yields on a seven, because mm -hmm. I, I got to get that inflation threshold. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I know the expectation. Down. So where do you think that settles out? And where do you think the Fed shakes out in all this? Like, I know that those are big, big questions because, yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you go back and I'll set you up here, if you go back to the July meeting, mm -hmm. I mean, market was almost saying, well, the Fed's going to give us like two more hikes and we're done. Mm -hmm. Right. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're at like 425 right. by early next year. So mm -hmm. how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all an expectations game, right? And I do think that Chair Powell and other members of, of the FOMC have done a good job of trying to tell the market, no, we're, we're raising rates. Yeah. We're focusing the on this. Listen. They're yeah. not being yeah. dovish in the yeah. slightest, right? right? They, I, um, and there were so many interpretations that it was a dovish meeting in July. I'm like, there was nothing dovish about it. And right. then they made sure they pounded that starting the next week. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So they're, I, I think, doing the right thing in terms of, with the hawkish commentary, really trying to control long-term inflation expectations, convincing the public, the business community, they're actually absolutely going to solve this problem, and they're going to solve it on, in the shorter term. Um, and so I think that's a good message to be had. Uh, but when we think about, you know, what does this mean uh, going forward, you know, I think we'll, we'll have to wait and see. You know, we have yeah. to wait and see how much inflation really does improve. And I I do think that areas like shelter are going to be really sticky. Yeah. It's a problem that in many markets, it's now more affordable to rent than own. Um, and so that's just going to continue to drive rent prices higher. Right. So I think and that's, that's the, the perverse thing about yeah. that, right? That yeah. Because it's cheaper, it's going to drive rent prices higher. Like yeah. it, it, you know, a lot of people don't think of it that way. Right. Yeah. 
And I think that shelter category was really slow, you know, to, to show itself yeah. um, in the numbers, even though we saw these incredible increase in, in home prices uh, year over year. And now I, I do think it's probably going to be pretty sticky on, on the way down. Um, so it's, but I think to see some real improvement, we're going to have to see, you know, um, China move away from the zero COVID policy to really free up any lingering supply chain problems that are out there. Um, and we're just going to have to see demand slow. I yep. think at a certain point, people are going to have to say, no, I'm not going to spend money on XYZ um, or I'm not going to spend as much. Um, and and that will you know, potentially serve to, to slow inflation. And I, I was, you know, so far I've been um, somewhat pleasantly surprised to see that not only in retail, but other industries like semiconductors, we're starting to have inventory too much inventory, which is a good thing um, if we're solving the inflation problem. Um, but I think we need to see more of that um, and more, you know, demand slowing even on the services side. You know, so maybe everybody took the big vacation this year, got it out of their system. Maybe they sit, sit tight and just yeah. don't spend as much. Um, yeah, so. the, re the revenge travel, as I heard, I, I love that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like I don't care what it costs. That's I'm right. Going. We're going. Right. We haven't yeah. gone in three years. That's We're going. Right. We're spending whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a, there's a time when people say, "Yep, okay, yeah. we're going to sit this next year out yeah. and." Um, gonna go camping <laughs> you yeah. know i don't know you know we're not gonna spend as much that's what sam does yeah. that's right. yeah. no absolutely get out there and uh just shut off from the, from the world for a little bit turn everything off so right. it's always a nice uh, little break there when you can get out to the outdoor life right um you mentioned before you know you, you speak with your clients directly especially mm -hmm. the uh the individuals uh, mm -hmm. versus let's say the institution yep. institutions but uh what is the temperature like out there right now for investors? How is investor sentiment uh, mm -hmm. currently feeling? And I know that swings up and down depending on, you know, they'll look at the stock market. You know, they're like, yeah. okay, I feel good today. You know, if the stock market's up today, they're probably feeling pretty bad. But mm -hmm. overall, how has the sentiment been? What's the trend, I guess, is, is you know, we move closer to, you mm -hmm. know, some economic weakness and the market's been pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And the budget is pretty low. But what yeah. kind of conversations are you having with uh, your investors today? Yeah, so we have we manage money for a, a lot of different uh, people. Many of them have been through multiple economic cycles, and so they they get it. They're not as worried, um, but it's people who are new to having money in their lives. I think that haven't been investing uh, through multiple economic cycles that are more nervous, and I certainly think even people that have been in more conservative strategies have looked and they their returns are not not that great because of the bond piece just hasn't held up and been as protective yeah, as they thought it would be. It's now down over 11. <laughs> it's on its way to down 12% 12, 12, today. Yeah. You know? So they're thinking, well, gee, I didn't think I was taking a lot of risk in my portfolio. And, but now look what's happened. And so, you know, my job is really to um, ensure that everybody continues to stay invested. You know, it's such an important piece of what yeah. we do is, um, you know, helping people to not make a bad emotional decision at the wrong time <laughs> with the market. So sticking with a plan, you know, showing them that over a longer period of time, whatever strategy they're in is going to serve them well. We do that with a lot of Monte Carlo analysis and things like that, um, just to help clients get their head around, you know, what this means. Um, and even on that same side, you know, typically when we run those kind of analysis, it's not perfect, but we try to show them what about a bad timing analysis? What if the first two years out of the gate, you have double digit negative declines in your portfolio? What does that mean for you over the long term? So it's those kind of exercises that I think allow clients to become a little bit more comfortable with the strategy that they're in. Um, 
Especially when they've been making double digits for the last, you know, and to remind years. them, right. yes, yeah, right. especially, that's normal, right? yeah, that's right, and, and especially to remind them, just a great point that over the last several years prior to this year, they had phenomenal returns, right. um, and especially even those, you know, more conservative clients that had great returns from the bond piece of their right. portfolio for many, many years. Um, um, and so this is one year out of many um, in a long-term plan, and it doesn't mean that it's you know completely upset the apple cart. Um, well, it yeah. sounds like well, I was going to say uh, on kind of on that theme that you're talking about earlier, how you implement both traditional and non-traditional mm -hmm. uh, asset classes within your portfolios for your clients. Is there any particular asset class that you always get pushback on in, mm -hmm. in terms of it being in the portfolio and you mm -hmm. think it deserves to be in the portfolio either as a strategic or a tactical play, but uh, yeah. nonetheless, you get that pushback and, and mm -hmm. you know, just the hated or loathed asset class within the portfolios? Yeah. Um, we haven't gotten it this year, but I'll tell you the one uh, prior uh, prior to 2020 was commodities. <laughs> it was a horrendous multi-year period for commodities. Um, and we decided to increase the commodities exposure in our portfolio in April of 2020 because forward oil prices were negative. That was a really tough decision <laughs> because nobody wanted to hear that they were going to have more commodities in their portfolio. Sam was trying to put it in his pool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how much he could store in his pool at that point, the negative yeah. prices. But. Yeah, it was the infamous, it was 420-2020. Yeah. That, that day it went right. a dip neg negative, right? So uh, yeah. uh, for the first time, I think. Yeah. yeah. So now we're at the opposite end, though, and we've started scaling back our commodities position, recognizing that. You know, commodities as an asset class is something that you don't necessarily always need to have exposure to. There's a time and a place for it, but it's been a great um, inflation hedge. And so, unfortunately, we had, because of the prior experience with commodities, some clients say, I never want to have commodities in my portfolio again. And so they don't, but they've had a significant difference now in their return um, versus the clients who stuck with our decision and you know we added it um in 2020 and continued kind of increasing the position uh throughout um 2020 and 2021 until um this year but uh but that's the one asset class i think that we get the most pushback on let me let me change the the direction sure. Sure. is there something that you guys don't put in the portfolio that clients are demanding or asking about today <laughs> yeah <laughs> we get a lot of questions about yield on the on the um on the stock side of our portfolio like how come i don't have more higher yielding stocks and dividend payers and when we look at return we're looking at total return sure. so we're not we don't just care about the income component we care about a total return for clients and it and forgets even, less tax efficient right? that's yeah. right and right. we try to help chill that home right. it'd be better if you just realized a capital gain instead of you know collecting the income from dividends but that's the piece that we get um, clients asking about. They're always loath to introduce in portfolios unless we really feel that you know dividend-paying stocks are going to outperform more broadly. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's the one the one conversation we have a lot. Okay, <laughs> so so as you look across the landscape, you know you have your institutional focus. You're mm -hmm. looking across everything. Like thematically, what do you find the most attractive today? And I mean, not not single names, but mm -hmm. what what areas of the market are you guys spending the most time and saying this is something that looks pretty attractive today uh, in the in the market? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, it's an ongoing debate at my in my uh, with my group, and uh, we had tilted towards more value oriented equities mm -hmm. uh, throughout the last couple of years. Um, but that we're now kind of rethinking that and thinking, you know, looking at a lot of these cyclical sectors, 
what would that mean if we do go into the slow growth environment, which I think we're already in it, but if we yeah. continue in the slow growth, economic growth period, um, are those industries really going to be able to grow? Yeah. Um, certainly not like they have over the last couple of years. So we're looking back at you know high quality growth companies as being a potential place to go um, with shift, shifting more assets in that direction. Okay. Um, thinking that you know if we do get an economic slowdown that um, and and in the slow growth period, it's going to be those more growth oriented companies that I think investors will probably uh, gravitate to. That can yeah, people grow forget in slow growth, growth does better in yeah, slow growth. Yeah, right. yeah, typically. Yeah. So Brenda, I know you've got a lot of obligations today. Mm -hmm. I know you're running to the television. We really appreciate you coming by today. I would love to spend more time with you and really pick your brain. But unfortunately, before we let you go, I've got to introduce you to Sam's favorite part of the show. Okay. So Sam. <laughs> All right, Brenda, my favorite part of the show is called Sherman Says. It's where I will offer a series of alternating prompts between you and Jeff Sherman to elicit a top of mind response. And as to provide an example, I'll give Sherman the first one with commodity volatility. Normal. Brenda, over to you with soft landing. Tricky. <laughs> All right. That's a good one. Powell's legacy. J. Powell's le legacy, let's say. It's on the line. He's delivering. I mean, for as much crap as the people gave him for so long, I agree with Brenda on this. I think the Fed's doing a dang good job of getting through this. And why I say that, if you think about the last hiking cycle, it took them almost two and a half years mm -hmm. to get to where the Fed funds rate is right now. Right. Mm -hmm. They did it. They did it in like four months. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, I, I think his legacy is 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 there. I mean. Look, it may turn into a recession, but you know, like, look, they have dry powder; they can cut, mm -hmm. right? They, there's things they can do. So, anyway, um, I'm, 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 I'm very pleased with what's happening. It, it stinks for markets, but I think it's the right thing. All right, Brenda, yours next one is biggest challenge as an advisor: uh, managing client expectations. Over to you, Sherman, with biggest challenge as an investment manager. Managing client expectations. <laughs> Actually, li life lesson, everybody, manage expectations. That's right, appropriately. If you, if you can outperform your expectations, you will live a happy life. That's right. Set the bar low, Sam. <laughs> All right, I like it. I like it. Uh, Brenda, buy the dip or sell the rip? For long-term investors, I say buy the dip. All right. Green energy. I was going to say, where's the rip? <laughs> what, are we, what are we selling these days? Yeah. Uh, you said green energy? It's a green energy, yeah. Yeah, it, it can live with uh, carbon energy. So we, we need to go that direction, but we need both. All right. Invest. Invest in it. Evolution of Silicon Valley. Mm. Mm. Uh, maturing, that's what I would say. Jimmy G. Bring him back. <laughs> I don't like Trey so far. <laughs> He's 0 for 1 to this week, but... uh. Look, Jimmy G is an above median quarterback. People give him like you'd think he's like, you know, Chad Pennington or something from the Jets, you know? The problem is is that he just doesn't deliver in the big game. He's damn good. Bring him put, put him on the field. Coach Coach Shanahan, if you're listening, put him on the field. <laughs> all right. And then to wrap us all Sorry. up here, Brenda with favorite grape. 
well, I don't know if you know this, but my husband and I were in the wine business for many years, so I'm going to say Pinot Noir. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's a beautiful grape. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite wines, you know, Bordeaux and Pinots, right? Yep. They're just great. So, Brenda, thank you so much. I know you're my very pleasure. busy, so it was great. We're going to have to have you back, but mm -hmm. thank you so much for spending time with us. Again, this is Brenda Vangelo. I'm going to say it right this time, mm -hmm. from Sand Hill Global Advisors, and she is the Chief Investment Officer. Thanks again for stopping by. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. The audio presentation represents Double Line's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2022, DoubleLine Capital.